Support for Waveform comes from Anthropic. So looking for an AI solution for a business, it might be time to check out the Claude 3 family from Anthropic, your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. So whether you're powering a customer chat experience or doing complex R&D or need advanced analysis, Anthropic can help provide you with frontier intelligence. So if you're looking for speed, power, or anything in between, the Claude 3 family offers AI models for a variety of tasks and budgets. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Waveform Podcast. We're your hosts, I'm Marquez. And I'm Andrew. And today we've got an interview episode. I got to talk to a fellow internet creator, Mike Winkleman, a.k.a. Beeple. So this is a fun one. This is this is maybe a little bit unexpected. We've usually talked to video creators in the past, but you've probably heard of Beeple sometime, at least lately, from his art um, and a lot of the stuff going on in the NFT world. We've talked about NFTs a lot, probably like the last three episodes, so I hope no one's getting sick of it. I know they're, they're all the hype, but this is kind of like the, uh, the holy grail of the NFT world right now. He would probably hate that I said that. Um, but... Just like he's the one and he just sold something for $69 million, which is like the headline absolutely everywhere. But the thing behind it is he's been creating these pieces for like 13 years. And I don't think people understand that. They think there's just this this piece that sold for a ton of money and it's NFTs and it's all the hype. And But he, there's so much more to him as a creator. And right. I've looked up a lot of interviews going before this and he's just absolutely fascinating. And he has so much more to say than just... I sold an NFT for a ton of money. Yeah, I want to preface this interview with a couple things, but really I feel like what I learned when talking to him and and when just looking up all the stuff he's done is we actually have a lot in common. Yeah. Um just from just from the creator world. So just here's here's a few things that crossed my mind. First of all, like I said, he's been making art for a long time. He's on this daily project where he's been making a new piece every day for 5070 consecutive days. So that's over 10 years straight of not missing a day, which is wild. He started in 2007. I started making videos in 2009. Um, but also just in the fact that a lot of this stuff relies on on the tools and the software. He relies on a lot of uh, rendering and Octane and 3D stuff and relies a lot on the GPU specs today. But it wasn't always that way. And we talk a little bit about that in this interview. Also, he doesn't edit much on his laptop anymore because he needs more of that processing power. That's something I also deeply, deeply relate so to. So you're saying you just found someone who agrees that you should have a Mac Pro for YouTube videos pretty <laughs> <That's> much. basically <laughs> what I'm saying. Um, he also... We also talk a little bit about paying attention to internet comments and whether or not they can be constructive with your work. And also just the fact that he's self-taught. He didn't go to school for this. When you're self-taught and all of the work you publish can be publicly co commented on, basically, whether yeah. it's the YouTube comment section or if he's posting on his own website or Instagram or Twitter, that's a dynamic that didn't really exist before the last 10 to 15 years. So that's a really interesting thing that we got to vibe on and chat about a little bit. But I think when you're listening to this interview, pay attention to how he talks about art. Uh, obviously, someone who does it every day for 5,000 straight days cares a lot about it. It's not just someone who's a toiling bit, away, yeah. kind of just making whatever he wants for no reason. There's a lot of thought that goes into what he makes and why. 
but also pay attention to how he talks about the tools he uses and why he uses them. Something I always hear from aspiring creators, or at least when I get asked to give advice, is like, I need to buy something that you have to be able to start doing what you do. And that's always a trap. You never actually have to immediately, I mean, if you don't have a camera at all, I guess, yeah, you'd have to buy one. But if you're typing that comment on your phone, turn it around, there's a camera on the back. Like you can actually mm -hmm. start making with the tools you have before you start getting better and start to require better tools. And uh, that's 100% something that we both found that has affected our workflows over time, has affected our art and what we make over time. And uh, I, I just felt like that was a, a fun thing to chat about. So we're gonna take this ad break a little bit early so we can go straight through the Beeple interview uninterrupted. So it'll be something like 45 minutes of yeah. straight, straight information. There's a lot of information in that time. It's a lot. So. We'll play that, we'll come back from the break, and we'll recap what we learned. So after the break, my chat with people. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prof G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from NetSuite. And that's exactly what NetSuite provides, support. But what they really provide is support where you need it because no one needs help where they don't need it. So NetSuite wants to provide you with products and services that are tailor-made for your business. Help where you need it. NetSuite is a top-rated cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended their one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks, so head to netsuite.com slash waveform. That's netsuite.com slash waveform, netsuite.com slash waveform. Also, quick language warning, if you usually listen with your kids or something, maybe not this episode, there's a couple words in there. Other than that, let's get into it. All right, Mike, aka Beeple, thanks for joining me on the Waveform Podcast. Thank you for having me. Super honored to be here. And I've been a fan of the the channel for the longest time. So this is super, super cool to talk. That's amazing, man. Should I call you Mike or Beeple? I've seen both. You can happen. just call me Mike. Okay, you cool. Just, call just, me Mike. just want to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> so the story of the past couple weeks has been crazy. I'm sure your inbox has been just nuts. Oh um, my God. Insane. But, it has just been insane. But there's so much context to it that I want to get into because I feel like you and I actually have a lot in common like in the, really? in the in the digital space and as creators. And I'll talk about some more of these like interesting points I've come up with in a second, but I feel like we do. So we'll see. We'll see if I'm right. Okay, okay. So for the three people unfamiliar, how would you describe what you do as Beeple and, and like what the origin story is? I'm sure you've told it a, a thousand times. Sure, sure. So um, I, I've been creating, you know, digital artwork for the last, uh, you know, about 20 years, over 20 years, actually. I'm 39. Um, and so... About in 2007, I started the the Everydays project, and that's kind of the project I'm, I'm sort of most known for. Um, and that is where I do a picture every single day, you know, from start to finish and post it online. Um, and so I've been doing that for now 5,000 days, you know, just earlier this year was 5,000 days. Um, and, and sort of along the ways, I also did a bunch of short films. I've released a bunch of like Creative Commons VJ clips. So a bunch of different things, uh, different art stuff. A lot of it is very weird and gross, and uh, it's not for everybody. It's definitely Fair. not for everybody, but it's, um, you know, definitely got a lot of sort of topical themes lately, um, kind of commenting sort of in real time almost on, on kind of the events of that day, almost like a political cartoonist. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely uh, taken an evolution. And, and just recently, obviously, there was this kind of a big sale. For sure. Yeah. Sort of the, <laughs> the apex of like why your name is everywhere. How do you feel about Beeple being above the toy that you originally based the name off of now? If you just Google Beeple, 
No one knows about the toy anymore. <laughs> it, it's actually been above the toy for a while, okay. and so it, it was, at first it was sort of like, oh, what's you know, what's a beeple? And so I would tell people, and then I'd have to keep scrolling down, down, down. It's like, well, there's one of these. There's a beeple somewhere here, and now yeah. it's, I'm sure it's very, very hard to find the toy. But if yeah. you want to see what the toy is, just Google beeple toy. Perfect. So the the graphic design stuff and and all the art you've made is correct me if I'm wrong self taught completely like you didn't go to graphic design school you didn't go specifically to college to learn how to do this you've just been making stuff for a long time is that right Yeah I've been um, I went to school for computer science and about halfway through I realized you know I was spending all my time making you know weird little art stuff and that I didn't really want to be a programmer so I got a job doing um, sort of web design and then really put all of my true energy into sort of the the people stuff, you know, kind of on the side and started growing sort of like a following from there. And then along the way, I started getting, you know, better and better sort of clients and doing, you know, more freelance work as as people and then was able to sort of quit my job and just do freelance sort of full time and, and kind of, you know, as a digital artist prior to NFTs, that was kind of the only way to sort of, you know, make a living was doing, you know, kind of freelance work. Right. There's, I love that story just because there's, there's a really good piece and I'll probably like try to link it in the show notes of like the best way to get good at doing something is to just do it a lot and do a lot of versions of it and just iterate and get better and better over time. And that's what I relate most to. Like, do you think a lot about the fact that you're self-taught and that's not necessarily the, the normal path to becoming an artist? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that is the biggest sort of piece of the Everyday's project that in all the sort of hype and everything, you know, over the last couple of weeks here that I think people are missing is the sitting down every day and working like that is the most important part of it. That is the biggest message from it. Um, and that it's it, it was something that I started in 2007. I saw an illustrator out of the UK named Tom Judd. He did a, a drawing a day and, and I thought, you know, that was a really cool way to get better at drawing. And I thought, I'll try and, you know, do that, do a drawing a day. Mm -hmm. And so I did that, you know, after a year of that, I thought, well, maybe I could teach myself a 3D program and, and do the same thing, do a render every day. And so I started doing that and, and, you know, just kept doing it. But the same reason that I started it to get better and to practice is the same reason I will do it today is I still feel like there's a huge amount of room for practice, huge amount of room for growth. And so, yeah, I think incremental improvement like that is is a key, key piece of this. 100%. That's like one of the questions I get asked all the time is like, how do I get started? Or how do I get better at making video? Because you watch today's videos on YouTube, and like, well, I, I can't just jump right in and start competing with that. But sure. my advice is always, if you just start now, and if you, if you literally do one video every day, you'll learn a lot more than if you tried to work on one video for a month straight. I'd much rather you do 30 videos over 30 days. And I think that person's going to learn a lot more than the person who tries to work on one thing for a long time as a beginner. 100% agree. Because I think it teaches you when you're starting from scratch every single day, it teaches you kind of the whole thing. And it teaches you one of the most important things is how to finish a project. And that's a very, very hard thing. Finishing something and just being like, yeah, good enough. That is very, very hard for artists. And that's something when you have a de deadline every single day, it forces you to do that. So that's a really, really key piece of this. So now you're at 5,070 days, I think is the, the number currently. Something like that. Sure. Haven't, Sounds about right. <laughs> haven't missed a day. Have uh, not missed a day. Oh my God, sweet baby. I'm, I'm sure I will. It'll, that'll be a bad day. That'll be a bad day. Yeah, I have so many like random questions about that. Like, do you, you don't have a goal of like a number you want to hit anymore, right? You're just gone. No, nope, I want to do them until I die at this point. I want to do them every single day till I die. That's the, that's the goal. Poetic. Poetic. We'll see. We'll see. What's the closest you've ever gotten to not making a day? Are you ever at 11.59? Like, you know what? I just shouldn't no, hit publish. Not now. that close, but I've been close. I've been like 11.50. For a while, I was kind of being stupid and pushing it. Now, a lot of times, I'll sort of post something on like Tumblr. Like I'll post like kind of like almost like a work in progress. So it's like, okay, it's done. It posted at like 11 or something like that. So it's sort of like, okay, this day's in the bank. Mm -hmm. And then I'll work literally right up to 11.59 like improving it and that will be kind of the like that's the final one for the day so i'm not sort of like okay the power goes out or some crazy <laughs> thing happens and it's like so um yeah I, I i've gotten close before and there was actually another time where i took a uh, you know again it has to be posted online before midnight and so i got on i, I you know sort of did my picture 
I was taking a flight to Brazil for like a talk or whatever. And the, the flight was at like, you know, noon or something like that okay. or two or three or something. And it was going to go overnight and I wouldn't land until the next morning. So I had to do my picture before I got on the flight, obviously. Yeah. And so I did my picture, got on the flight and hour, this is a nine hour flight, no internet hour into the flight. I'm like, Oh crap. I never posted it. I definitely remember doing it, but I never posted it. And so did I post it? No, did I? Ah. And so literally for nine hours, I freaked the hell out. It was just the most like absolutely just excruciating mental pain like <laughs> that I had fucked up. And it was just like the worst. Yeah. And then as soon as we landed, checked the internet and I was like, oh, yeah, no, I posted it. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, ah, nice. Ah, it was just, oh my god, it was bad. There's bad. so many, there's so many versions of this, like, uh, you know, working at something every day. One of my friends, Casey Neistat, you've probably seen some of his videos. Yeah, I actually just started like kind of like talking to him a little bit. Amazing. He did something like 300 plus days of vlogs in a row, and something I found really interesting about that was. You never really get to bank anything. Every vlog is a new day. You start from scratch every day and you finish yep. it that day. Do you, are you the same? Do you have like a bank of, of rough no. drafts to start with? Nope. Nothing? Everything is starting from blank slate that day. Like that, that's kind of the point of it is starting over every single day. Yeah. Um, so they're definitely not like kind of like banked up and I'm just sort of like releasing them. Each one is done start to finish that day. That's so cool. Okay, so now that I've seen a ton of your work, and if, if people go to your, your site or your Instagram, they can get a taste of the variety and the sheer chaos that it is. There is quite a variety. <laughs> and that's the thing that I think is interesting, too, is it's taken a lot of different sort of like forms over the years. Like in the beginning, obviously, it was drawings. Um, and then it, it got very abstract, like sort of like as I was, you know, and very rudimentary as I was learning these 3D tools. And then it kind of turned into these sort of abstract kind of like landscape, sci-fi landscapes. And now it is just kind of like gross, weird stuff, internet culture, pop culture, like, you know, kind of uh, weird, weird stuff. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> now, now that I've seen all of this, I'm curious, like, what makes a really good piece for you? Like people ask artists all the time to like define a success or define like doing what you set out to do. Do you have a, a barometer for like what you really like about some of your pieces? Sure. Um, most of them I don't like because it's something that I only did in a couple hours. So most of it's like, ah, I see all the things that could be better, the, the things that could be improved. So I actually don't like most of them. Um but that, again, is sort of a piece of this is it, it to me, it's kind of there's some part of this is it's not up to you to sort of like judge what's good. It's up to you to make the art and, and other people can judge and they can like it, not like it. Um, but that's not really to me like any of your concern. So um, the thing that uh, uh, when I do find a piece where I was like, oh, that turned out good. It honestly feels like I got lucky that it's sort of like, ah, some things clicked. And it's like, ah, I feel like I just kind of got lucky there. Like <laughs> things kind of like fell into place. Um, there's a few times where I'll do a picture and I like put like a huge amount of time into it. And it, and it you know, feels like it turned out good. And, and I didn't didn't get lucky. But those are very rare. Very, very rare. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Um, do you do you have like favorite pieces that you've done, like uh, in the, maybe even in the five thousand days? Are there pieces that stand out where you're like, I can't believe I did that in a day? Because that's what I look at and see like most of your stuff. I'm like, seriously, he did all that in a day in Cinema uh, 4D. <laughs> yeah, um, there's not pieces where I'm like, I did that in a day, but there's definitely pieces that stand out because they sort of opened up sort of new avenues. They were kind of like, okay you know, something with Kim Jong-un or, you know, the first time I used Buzz Lightyear or some other character or something like that, or, you know, learn some new technique that sometimes that kind of like, okay, now here's a new path of like where I can sort of go with this, you know, kind of moving forward. Those are sort of like, you know, days that I like more. Gotcha. So there's a, there's a pretty recent new Tiger Woods quote where someone asked, has you, have you ever walked off the golf course and just thought like, that's my best work. Like I'll never reach that. That's the, that's the best round. I couldn't do better than that. And he was like, no, like I'll, I'll never, I'll never be like truly satisfied with like any one piece of work. Do you feel that same way about a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I feel like it's sort of like, 
there might be things where I'm like, you know, that was good or, or this is, you know, something I liked. Usually it's more like with the like short films or something like that. But it's it's not one of those where it's like, well, I'm done. It's sort of like, well, now I have to try to sort of like do something better. It might be it might seem like it's sort of like, oh, I got lucky there and it's going to be hard to like kind of like do something better. But I honestly don't think about that stuff too much because I feel like it's not. I try not to think about that because it's not that productive. And I really just try and focus on the technique, try and focus on the work and sort of, you know, just sitting down each day and and trying and kind of good, bad hype, this or that. I really try to sort of, you know, not see any of the like crap people are saying, the comments. I I really try to not view that stuff just because it's not uh, it's not helpful both ways. I feel like it's not helpful when you sort of, you know, there's days, you know, you phoned it in or you're kind of like, okay, this was, this was phoned in. Come on. Mm-hmm. And then you see a bunch of people like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like, that's not good for you. I don't think True. It, that's not healthy. And it's also not healthy when you do something and people are like, this is crap. This is gross. What is this? Blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like, okay, guy, that's fine. Just unfollow me. Just if you don't like it and you're offended by it, just unfollow me. There's millions of other things. You don't need to follow me. You can cancel me very easy. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that. that is actually something we have in common is like you have to be very selective about how much stock you put in people's comments about your work. Like for yes. a video, sometimes there is like, there's this thing on YouTube where like you think you spend like a ton of time on a video and you're like, this one's going to hit. I know this is an incredible video. And then it doesn't. And then the next video you spend half the time and it, it blows up and you're like, why is this the one? Um, so to an extent, you have to have like an internal barometer of like, I know that this piece feels good to me. And this is why I want to publish it. So that's, I think that's definitely something we have in common there. Yeah, 100%. I think it's it's sort of having having some level of filter for so, sort of social media feedback, especially because it's totally, it's totally unfiltered with like comments. And these are people from all over the world. You have no idea who they are. And it's sort of like, you have no idea if they're background this. And it's sort of like, they're presented all as equals and it's sort of like okay well am i just taking advice from like a 14 year old kid who had a bad day because his mom grounded him like probably he's like taking it out on me like why would i listen to that if you i feel like a lot of times if you saw the people behind the comment you'd be like okay yeah i'm ignoring that i don't know <laughs> that's like, very okay, true that's a kid or this is a person who knows nothing about this thing like why would i listen to this person oh that's another one is where you're like oh the the people commenting on the art are the people that don't do art so it's pretty yeah it's kind pretty, of like well why the hell would I listen to you you don't do yeah, art like exactly. it's or or the art that you like I don't like so it's kind of like that's fine that's your comment like I'm not going to listen to that so exactly. I think sort of being cognizant of that fact having a group of people who's you know sort of feedback you do respect I, I think is important and kind of just really sort of filtering the rest out because it's it's toxic and it really messes with yeah. your head so okay when you start a new project blank slate Sometime in the morning, in the, at any point in the day, you started something It's almost new. always at night, actually, because it's okay. sort of like it will take up as much time as I have, as I give to the everyday. So it's like, okay, I usually have to get all my other crap done, you know, yeah. at, at, during the day. And then it, it usually at like eight or nine or something like that, I'll start it or later. Got it. So you start this project sometime in the afternoon. Do you have an idea of like what you're going to make as you're starting? And I ask that because, you know, when I'm making a video, a tech video, I have a really good idea of once we start making the video, what I'm aiming to make. And for the most part, we can get pretty close, right? We, we have a list of like shots we want to get. We have a, a, a physical thing, like a gadget that we're pointing a camera at. So we know what we're going to get. Yep. But, but once in a while, there's like some fancy shot or like a robot shot. We have a camera robot. We like to mess with it for hours at a time for a quick shot. And we have an idea, and then it just ends up totally different because of the tool we use. Yes. I'm curious if that happens with your pieces. Like, you start in one direction, and the tool veers you off, or your brain, independent of the tool, veers you off, or both. Yes, absolutely, 100%. I usually have some level of idea of, like, I have, I I, I sort of will take some time and sort of look around the internet, look around like current events going on and try and get an idea, like just a starting point. And it might be just like, oh, this shape of building or this sort of, you know, it might be something very, very sort of simple or very sort of like abstract. 
Um, and then from there, it's kind of like whatever happens, happens. And sometimes it's just sort of like I'll try something and it'll be like, okay, that did not work and we got to pivot here. Or it'll be like I'll get a different idea or that. So it's very much sort of like – and it could change drastically right at the end. So mm-hmm. – it's very much sort of like, you know, this is kind of, I'm just sort of rolling with it and kind of, you know, I, usually what happens is I just run out of time and it's sort of like, oh crap, I don't have any more time. Like this is pretty much what it is. And so sort of, you know, uh, understanding how much you can get done in like an hour, uh, you know, really helps with that to be like, okay, we got to kind of start ramping this up here because we're running out of time. So being flexible like that, I think, is really important. And it really feels like I'm playing and experimenting each day. And so that's what, to me, keeps it super interesting, you know, yeah. as the person spending an ungodly amount of time sitting at a computer. Do you feel like you know the the tools? You're, you're using Cinema 4D for most of the stuff lately? Yep, Cinema 4D and, like, Octane, yep. Do you feel like you know it well enough that you're never really held back by what you want to make by the tool? Because no, with, with the all. robot, I'm literally, like getting to a certain move where the arm of the robot can't physically make the move. I'm like, all right, we have to adjust our shot now. But I feel like you don't have, (laughs) you don't really have that limitation. No, I don't. I actually don't feel like that at all. I feel like I know how to do certain things in the programs, but the programs are, are, are sort of like rapidly evolving. And, and now unreal is like a big thing and like super, super like, you know, powerful. And so it's a space that moves super, super quickly and the workflows can change really, really fast. The way I work now is completely different than the way I worked when I started. Um, so I, I think it's something that is so, I know a piece of it, but that you can pretty quickly throw me off my game where I'm just like, whoa, what the, I have no idea how to do this or like how to do that because there, there's just so many areas to, to sort of making these images. There's... Um, you know, uh, uh, modeling, there's texturing, there's UV mapping, there's animation, there's rigging, there's lighting. And, and like, you know, when you look at like a Pixar movie or something like that, each person is just doing like one tiny thing and it could be like really insanely tiny. I went before, um, a couple years ago, well, they were making, uh, Frozen 2 mm-hmm. and talked to some of the guys at, at Disney studios there. And they were like, oh, well, we work on the, on the like water. And, and the guy's like, well, no, no, I just work on the foam. And it's like, <laughs> he didn't even work on the water. He just worked on the foam on the water. Sheesh. That's it. Like, that was his full-time job for, like, years. And so it's like, that's how specific it is on these movies. So there's so much to learn. It is just, like, an endless thing, and it keeps changing based on the, like, software continuing to update. That's crazy. Yeah, like, I feel like you could spend an, a decade or two or three inside of a piece of software and never fully master everything it's capable of. Absolutely. That absolutely. Is... There's pieces of the software I look like, entire menus, where I'm just like, I don't know what the hell that does. And I have spent thousands, you know, at this point, probably... 10 to 20,000 hours in this program. Actually, probably easily 20,000 hours in this program. Yeah. And there is absolutely pieces of where it's like, ooh, I don't know what the hell this does. Okay. Tons of things. Tons yeah. of things. So you said something earlier, which is really interesting. You said the, the way you've worked has changed a lot from the beginning to now. I'm curious how. So when I first started out doing 3D, I wanted to learn how to like model, which is sort of like making the 3D objects and sort of, you know, there's a bunch of different ways you can kind of extrude faces and and a bunch of sort of techniques to do that. When I hit 10 years of every days, and so when I did that, it's sort of like, okay, well, if I want a tree in the scene, I have to model a tree. If I want, you know, a thing, and and at that time, the, the pictures were very abstract, so I wasn't putting stuff like that in. Um, Along the line, I started wanting to make more narrative work, sort of stuff that kind of told a little story. Um, And so then I I was sort of like, I stopped modeling everything. When I hit 10 years, it was like, okay, I'm going to sort of like allow myself to use any model I want sort of like from anywhere. So there's a site called TurboSquid that has, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands models. Um, And so you type in bike and there's like, you know, a a bazillion different bikes and you just kind of choose which one you want and and buy it. And then you can immediately pull it in the scene. Boom's ready to go. Mm -hmm. And so that's a very different way. So now it really feels like, you know, instead of me building every single thing from scratch, it feels like I start out, again, blank slate, but then I pull in, like I've got a big toy collection, and I'm pulling in these toys, I'm pulling in a bike, I'm pulling in a house, I'm pulling in a tree, I'm pulling in a Kim Jong-un, I'm pulling in a dude, and I'm sort of posing them and moving them around, almost like toys, 
and then lighting them, all with virtual lights again, and then sort of taking a picture of it with a virtual camera. And so that's kind of what it feels like. And I can kind of break the toys apart. I can make them bigger. I can make them smaller. And I can, you know, move everything. And and, and so it feels, really feels like, um, you know, a very playful, like explorative, you know, sort of workflow. Got it. That is so cool. That's like a whole totally different workflow from what I do. I mean, I I took one class in this sort of 3D modeling in in college, so I know how it works. But of course, I was nowhere near. What was it in? In 3D Studio Max or what? Uh, it wasn't After Effects, so it was a very basic virtual camera, virtual lighting type situation. But okay. it, it wasn't like I was building scenes from scratch or anything like that. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but when you are working with this software like this, I'm I'm guessing it's pretty demanding. Do you need like a pretty hardcore setup? Do you need the desktop to do the, oh, the stuff you do? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So like the computer that I have now, and I need to, to upgrade. I'm actually in the process of upgrading. But you need a bunch of video cards, to be quite honest. And and mm. sort of the more video cards you have, the faster it is. And for stills, it's not as necessary. But once you start doing video, you need like you need some beefy hardware. And so. Um, you know, when they do, again, these Pixar movies, they have, they're called render farms and they're just massive, massive, just, you know, banks and banks of computers because the thing that's very hard with the, the, um, doing this and and video games, you know, are obviously running, basically making 3d stuff in real time, but they're taking a huge amount of shortcuts to make it faster versus what I do the light is calculated in a much more specific, much more accurate, like physically accurate way in terms of like how it bounces off of, you know, objects and how it interacts with things in the scene. So the way the materials and the light works, that's what makes it take really long to like render. Right. How long is a render of a project? Um, each image, I would say it really depends on the image and what's in it. There's certain things where if you have some, you know, kind of like complex glass where you've got light going through glass and it's like sort of, you know, making refractions and reflections and stuff. Um, you know, certain things can take longer. I would say on average, I'll usually, it's not that long. I'll kind of like have it rendering in the background and then I'll sort of save like kind of like a proxy copy and start working on it in Photoshop because a lot of times I'll, or not a lot of times, every, all the time. I will sort of get it to a certain point in Cinema 4D, and then I'll kind of take it into Photoshop and like, okay, draw in blood, draw in, you know, milk, whatever, and just, you know, sort of finish out the, like, details of the picture in Photoshop, just because it's way, way faster than sort of doing it all, like, natively in 3D. Gotcha. So if if it's like a half hour, I'm just ballparking like a half hour. Yeah, it could be like, yeah, something like that, 15, 20 minutes, something like that. Okay. And and what happens is it gets sort of like, it shows you the image right away, but it's very grainy, and then yeah. it will get like clearer and clearer and clearer over time. Like it will slowly sort of resolve and get like you know, crisp until it's it will. You could just let it go, keep going for like a really really long time, and it'll get like super insanely sharp. Right. Are you trying to get like thirty nineties like in SLI together? Like, is that the ideal setup for your work? Yeah, honestly, that is like the the you know getting super beefy cards like that. That is you know definitely makes a massive massive difference. If you're ever I guess not at your desktop where you're yep. doing work like like you mentioned on a flight or something like that. How does that does that change the the work at all or are you just 100%. like all right it's going to take longer? No, it definitely changes the work because there's things it's it can be so slow that it's like if I do this like it will be it will take like an hour or something to yeah. do it and it's like and usually when I'm traveling I don't have as much time. Um, so it definitely absolutely sort of like changes the work and changes what's possible because if you have, you know, a a mobile and I've got a decent laptop, but if you have, you know, just one graphics card versus, you know, having at home here, I've got like eight of them Mm -hmm. between two computers sort of like networked together. Well, then it's literally like eight times slower. So now something that, you know, would take maybe 10 minutes to render is now taking 80 minutes to render. So it, it can make a big, big difference in the like, you know, what's even possible. Yeah, that's that's another thing we both have to deal with is like if I'm working with 8K red raw footage, I literally refuse to take my laptop to that entire edit. I'll either change cameras or change the video to not have to deal with it on the laptop. So that's for sure a, a pretty nice I can't, benefit. Those, those video files, like raw, like 8K, like it is insane how big they are. Like they're just massive. That's one thing that I, I you know, feel lucky to not have to deal with that stuff, especially when it's long. It's like, oh, oh. That is yeah. that is no joke. That but is you no kind of you kind of build your workflow around it in a way. Like you say, you have eight GPUs networked together. Like when you deal with like seven hundred gigs for a single project, it's like 
okay, I just need a lot more fast storage and that's just something I know I have to deal with. But eventually you build the setup around what you you know you have to do. So sure, sure. It's been it's been it's been all right. It's been all right so far. <laughs> <laughs> um I want to get super nerdy just on the the specs of your Go setup. Deep. Just Go like deep. what what sort of GPUs or, or what specifically do you look for in like new equipment to help your work get better? People ask about cameras all the time. I can only recommend so many things about a camera before I'm getting too specific for the person. But what do you look for in stuff that makes your work better? Sure, honestly, with with like GPUs and stuff, it's really literally just like the fastest one you can get. And usually they're just sort of, you know, NVIDIA GPUs work the best with the software that I use. So it's just, you know, if you can afford a 3090, get a 3090. If you can afford a, you know, 2080, then get a 2080. And so it really is quite linearly sort of like, you know, speeds up the more you get. Um, so the only thing I would say about that, though, is... I really, like, I get that question a lot, too, and I really am very cognizant of people sort of like, well, I don't have this video card, so I can't do it. And it's like, nah, 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 that's a bullshit excuse. That is a bullshit excuse. You can do it with anything. And I was doing this with a much crappier computer. It, for a while, I had this netbook that was just, like, a complete piece of crap. Like, the, the computer that I had 13 years ago, when I was doing these, is nothing compared to what I have now. So I would really caution people against sort of like, I need XYZ hardware to get started. No, you don't. That is just an excuse that your mind is is telling you to put this off. You could get started tomorrow with whatever computer you have. You could download 100%. a free copy of Blender. Boom, get started. 100%. People ask, what what kind of, what can I buy right now to start a video? Look, if you're talking to me on the phone right now, that phone Boom, has a camera right and you can get Done. started. Done. It's right there. Um, one last random question on that. What's the weirdest place you've ever found yourself working on a piece of your art? Um, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I've been like camping places like that. Um, I've been in, that's a good question. It's usually not that because it's sort of like I'll plan ahead. It's usually not like that uh, uh, that I will sort of like do it in a weird place because I can't sort of predict what's going to happen. So mm -hmm. sort of uh, if I know it's going to be a weird day, we're traveling or something's going to happen, I'll just get it done right away in the morning and just like then I can relax too because then it's sort of like it's kind of hanging over me a little bit. Not a huge amount, but it's sort of like, eh, I got to do that. What if this happens? What if the car breaks down? How am I going to get to this? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'll just kind of plan ahead to make sure we don't have a, we don't get to, uh, we don't have another flight to Brazil here. That's smart. So we got to talk about NFTs for a bit, of course. Let's um, do it. I understand them. I've I've read and learned about the fundamentals. I've had conversations with a friend, Justin Maller, who's a digital artist a couple weeks ago. And oh, yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. like, Digital artists really are at the forefront of why <laughs> NFTs are in headlines and are really cool. Um, when did you first like discover NFTs? I'm sure it immediately connected with the digital art world in your mind, but what was the beginning of that process like? Yeah, so it was not that long ago. It was literally, again, I've been making digital art for a very long time, but I really only sort of connected or, or sort of got um, became aware of NFTs in mid-October of last year. So really not that long ago. People kept hitting me up and being like, oh, you got to look at this NFT thing. You got to look at this NFT thing. And when I finally did, it was just like, oh, my God, this is like insane. Like, I didn't think you could sell a video, you know, or, or a picture like this, much less for this amount of money. Like, this is crazy. Um, so I really just instantly sort of like connected with it. And from there, it was just down the rabbit hole and just like reaching out to anybody in the space collectors, artists, you know, CEOs of these platforms, developers, anybody who would talk to me to be like, what's going on here? What's possible? What's not possible? What have people done before? Um, and so it, it is just a very exciting, interesting space that moves very, very quickly. That's the other thing. It is like super, super fast that, that things progress. So it yeah. really keeps things quite fresh. 100%. You you gave an interview not that long ago that I found was really interesting where you were like explaining other possible future uses of NFTs. So obviously you have the certificate of, the certificate of authenticity for the piece of art. So digital art is, is going great. But, you know, potentially in the future, you're talking about like other documents where you need to certify originality, like a title for a house or a deed or a, yep. or a car or whatever that is. Is that like a long-term future? What kind of path do you see between today and that? 
Yeah, I think I, that's where I think, you know, and I've talked to a couple people. I talked to Mark Cuban, and, and it was like, is this what it was like in the beginning of the internet? He's like, this is exactly what it was like. And that these this technology is, is really quite simple. It's just, again, proving ownership of something. That that can be applied, and, and you can put rules on top of that. That can be right. applied to so many different things that I really, truly believe, like, you know, five years, 10 years from now or whatever, we'll have tons of NFTs. And most of them will just be boring stuff where you're like, okay, here's the NFT for my iPhone. And like, you know, it could be as simple as if you have an NFT for the iPhone and you want to sell it to somebody, you transfer the NFT to them, hand them the phone, boom, done. And sort of like that is what ties it, ties the two together, ties the physical to the thing. It's backed by the blockchain. So I think there's going to be a massive, massive amount of different, you know, applications for this and that we've just barely, barely scratched the surface. Um, and, and that I think it's super, super exciting, you know, uh, technology that I think right now it is very speculative. It is very sort of like, don't go in there and be like, oh, if it's an NFT, it's automatically worth something. That's not remotely true. And so yeah. there again, you know, at the beginning of the internet, there was a lot of stuff and there was a lot of like, you made a web page? Okay, here's $10 million. Like, you know, people just going crazy. Um, but, and there was a bubble, and it burst, but it didn't kill the internet. People kept using the internet. And that's where I think you're going to see with this. I think it's, you know, there's a lot of excitement, a lot of hype, but I think there's going to be some some real projects that have lasting value and sort of like, you know, either utility to make people's lives easier or connect with, you know, and connect with people on an emotional level. So I think we are, we're really, really just right at the beginning. That makes a lot of sense. Like that, the the Carfax, you know, today, like relying on that older version of a certificate of ownership versus this backed by blockchain version of the future seems like the same thing. Seems like the beginning of the internet versus the beginning of this new format. So I like I like thinking about it that way. But also the nature of the bubble is like, you're going to get, I'm curious what you think of NBA Top Shot, but you're going to get things that seem a little bit crazy just because it's the beginning that you have to use your common sense on whether you should actually get invested in or not. I really like Top Shot. I think it's really good. And I, I do I know that every single play that people are paying money for, are, it, that's the thing. It's sort of like as a concept, I think Top Shot's absolutely going to be around. Now, you know, XYZ player dunking on this player in some random game, you know, is that, is anybody, it's, it, go, it comes down to this. In 10 years, is anybody going to care about this thing? Right. If in 10 years or 20 years, people are still going to care about that specific dunk, then it will be worth money. If in 10 years, nobody cares about that dunk, it will be worth nothing. And so it's like anything else. It's you, you got to think like long term. Is somebody going to care about this work in the future? Is it culturally relevant that it has some history, has some staying power? That's what's going to keep things actual to hold their value over time. I fully agree with that. Um, for the NFT art, is there, do you think, maybe some sort of like a generational gap possible where it's hard for a lot of people when I explain this to like my parents, for example, it's like, so you don't. You don't get a thing. You pay the money, but you don't get to hold it. Like you've bridged this gap with, um, you know, the the physical items that you get to send people, the little case, the holographic scan thing, all that stuff. I think that's a great way to mentally bridge that gap to feel like you're getting something for your money when you buy it. But do you think that's something that's hard for people? Like, 100%, to obviously yeah, understand. It's, it's very, very hard. It's a different concept, but it's also a concept that we have in a number of different, you know, arenas. And I've sort of gone back and forth with a bunch of analogies. Um, because again, this isn't really about restricting ownership of something. It's not about sort of, you know, saying you can't see this thing because everybody can see these things online. But yeah. that's not what gives it value. The fact that you can stop people from seeing it. What gives it value is is that it's popular and everybody sees it and everybody wants it. That's what is like sort of giving these things value. And the physical thing, again, let, let's go back to a baseball card. What is a baseball card? It's just a little piece, piece of, of cardboard. cardboard. It's a, yeah. Like, what are you buying? Like, you're you. It's like, oh my god, you spent like you know three hundred thousand dollars on a little piece of cardboard. Why would you do that? But everybody accepts the baseball cards. A Mickey Mantle rookie card has value because you know what it symbolizes. It symbolizes that person's career. It symbolizes that work. It symbolizes that sort of you know excellence in this thing. And, and so, really, it's just a little piece of cardboard. And a painting is no different. It's like it's just a stretch canvas piece of cloth with some like drips of paint on it. Well, it's like, well, why would you pay for that? The actual yeah. physical thing is like stupid. It's nothing. And, and so 
Um, this is no different. It's sort of like, does this connect with people? Does this have some cultural relevance? If so, it has value. Like that's all it is. Yeah. I, I kind of had that moment in the shoe world where it was like, I realize I ha- I'm in the same world. I'll, I'll see a pair of shoes for three grand and I'm like, this is just cloth and glue and rubber. What is going on here? But that's the same thing you talk about. Like if we it has do, value, if it symbolizes. With, yeah. A hundred percent. It's what it symbolizes. It, another thing is why would you ever pay for like a real Louis Vuitton bag? You could just get a, a fake one, cheaper. Why would you do that? That's stupid. Yep. You could say that's super dumb. That their whole business is just a sham, because it's <laughs> sort of like you could just get the the things. But it's like you know, it's not the same. It's different yeah. when you go into the store and there's that experience and you buy it. So we attach value to things that a ton of different things. This is just a new thing. People will get used to it and people will come around to it and see that it's like okay. There's a bunch of different digital, you know, sort of virtual things that we already attach value to. Um, you know, a blue check mark. Well, what if you could just pay for that little blue check mark? Would that mean something? It doesn't really do anything. Right. You know, people would pay an insane amount if they could just buy those. And so it's one of these things where we attach a ton of value to, to virtual things. It, it's going to take a, a second for people to come around to this, but they absolutely will. I'm very, very sure. For sure. All right. Last big question. Whenever you talk about like a technology that's emerging or going well, I feel like you always have to consider the downside. Yep. Um, even with my own tech videos, the downside some people would suggest is like this rampant consumerism where people are just super focused on the latest, newest thing and wasting what they don't buy. Um, do you th- do you think a lot about the downside, the environmental impact that's sure. talked a lot about in the NFT world, and, and what do you think about that? Yeah, it's definitely something that needs to improve. It's there is, and this is sort of blockchain in general. There's there's um you know uh, sort of a criticism of blockchain is sort of that these track transactions use a lot of ec- electricity, and they do use like a lot of electricity. Um, unfortunately, with NFTs, there's been you know this guy made this website that was wildly inaccurate and got people a bit jacked up more than they actually are. But but they're still not good. There's still very much room to improve. Um, and so actually just this weekend, there's there's going to be like a charity thing with like Open Earth that, you know, I'm donating a piece to and a bunch of other artists do. Um, and, and I've been talking with the platforms to, to sort of see what we can do to sort of offset credits and stuff, because to be quite honest, it's not actually that expensive to sort of just completely offset these these things with carbon credits and make it carbon neutral. So. Right. It's something where I personally think it's going to improve very rapidly. The other thing where, where, where I'm you know, confident it will improve quickly is because there's no sort of like vested interest in making it sort of continue to use a lot of electricity versus cars. It's sort of like, well, yeah. well we got all this oil. We kind of let's kind of keep using the oil. They kind of are pushing back versus with this. Like, if these get easier and, like, use electricity, everybody wins. Like, nobody is, like, benefits from these things taking more time to compute. So I think it will, will you know, be something that improves quite quickly. That's but really it does point. need to improve. It definitely does need to improve. This needs to be sustainable. And if we're using a ton of NFTs, it will have to improve to get to the level where you're, like, getting an NFT for your, you know, iPhone and stuff like that. Right. That's a really good point. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be keeping my eye on that for sure. Um all right. So what what is the future of Beeple? Like the the you've done some collabs in the past, which I think are really cool. Even Trelon Musk and the Mr. Beast <laughs> Team Trees. Yeah, stuff I talked like, to him a few days ago and he's like, Oh, that was <laughs> you with the Trelon Musk. I remember yeah. that. <laughs> what did, do you have like as someone who sold a sixty-nine million dollar NFT, is there any like future thing you're still looking to possibly be able to do with your art, or is it just keep getting better? Oh, absolutely. So I really look at this as like, you know, it's $69 million. That's an investment. Like that is somebody I look at it myself almost as like a tech company, really, that it's sort of like, okay, if you're giving me that amount of money, that's not just I like this pretty picture. Like, come on, like that's your $69 million. Um, And so I want to see you get a return on that money. That's good for you. That's good for me. And in terms of, you know, my career and everything. So I'm very much taking that that money and sort of reinvesting it into more ambitious art projects. So we're going to see some weird stuff. We're going to see some weird, weird stuff coming up here. And there's going to be a lot. I feel like people need to stay hydrated because there's going to be a lot of tears of people offended and people not liking (laughs) it. And so we got to make sure we we pace ourselves with the outrage, everybody. Pace yourself. Um, Because, yeah, there's just a ton of of fun things. And and also sort of like, you know, giving back. There's there's so much to to do there. And, And that's something that I've always been, you know, wanting to give back as much as I can because I've been insane insanely insanely blessed with this and this is like 
you know, a lot of people are, you know, I, I view this this position I'm in as being insanely lucky. And, well, you put in the work, dude. It's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. But, like, I was getting paid decent before. Like, come on. Like, this is not something where it was sort of like I was just toiling away in obscurity and sort of, you know, receiving no benefits from this. Like, this is insanely, insanely lucky. I didn't invent NFTs. I didn't even see these coming a few months ago. So it's like... To be in this position right now, I, I feel super, super lucky, and I want to, you know, do everything I can to give back. For, for sure, that. love that man. Well, listen, if you ever are trying to do some like live action stuff, we've got some cameras in the studio here, so you're welcome. Nice, to that would be dope. You're here in New York, right? Yeah, right across the river. Yeah. Nice, awesome. Yeah, definitely. I actually am thinking about coming up to New York pretty quick here, so yeah, maybe we'll hit you up. That sounds awesome. I would love to drop by the studio. I've definitely seen you guys got some toys in there. Yeah, for sure. You guys got some toys. Yeah, so you can come through anytime you want. You're invited back on the podcast when we do a video version, but this has been a great talk. Thanks for your time. I'm sure you have a ton more to do, so I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, so thanks again to Mike for joining me and spending a lot of time. Guarantee you he's a busy guy, so that was much appreciated. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, Andrew and I will chat about what we learned. Support for this episode of Waveform comes from Gigabyte. There's a lot of talk out there about how AI is revolutionizing our world. Computers are writing newsletters, robotic bees are pollinating flowers, and a whole new wave of driverless taxis are popping up in cities all over the world. But how can AI power our passions and what we do for fun? That's where Gigabyte's AI gaming laptops come in. So their range of powerful and portable new laptops deliver cutting edge performance for anyone looking to explore the brave new world of AI powered gaming. So every 2024 Aorus machine comes equipped with the Gigabyte AI Nexus, which is like a central hub located with all the AI powered features you could hope for. So that includes super useful tools like AI power gear, which automatically throttles and extends your computer's battery life depending on your power source and usage. You'll also get access to AI Boost, which optimizes performance based on what you're doing in that moment, whether you're ripping through an FPS or running your own large language model. AI Boost automatically adjusts the GPU and processors to maximize responsiveness and deliver unparalleled efficiency. Lastly, AI Generator includes various generative AI apps for quick startup, and all 2024 Gigabyte models seamlessly integrate with tools like OpenAI and Microsoft's Copilot AI chatbot. But the Aorus 16X and the Gigabyte G6X take it to the next level with a dedicated Copilot key, allowing users to swiftly tap into productivity and generative AI capabilities. I also keep hearing AI is gonna change a lot in the gaming world. Andrew, can you think of anything about that? Not just optimization, like you said, but like more personal optimization I could see happening where like maybe you're playing a competitive game like Valorant and you want higher FPS and lower resolution, like you're okay versus like The Witcher where you might want 4K crispy resolution and like a lower frame rate. I think finding that between your computer specs and what you want might help out a lot. Nice. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at oris.com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte. Team up. Fight on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back. So that was a fun that was a fun 45 minutes, pretty jam-packed with information. I feel like we could have talked another 45 minutes to be honest, just because we we could just talk about the whole tech world and creative world for a while. But uh don't be surprised if we have him back on. I think that was so worth the time. And we have some takeaways, I feel like. Yeah, I'm still in awe just how I think I was listening to it sitting here and it been like 10 minutes and I was like, "Wow, we've got to be pretty close to time. There have been so many questions answered and we weren't. Uh, yeah, so that, that was that was probably one of the most fun interviews I think we've done on the channel so far. One of my best takeaways from that is I really like his take on Top Shot. Like yeah. I, I remember I talked about Top Shot maybe a week or two ago on Waveform and I think I mentioned something like, eh, it's kind of pointless. Like you don't really own the moment. The the plays are artificially limited. Like who's going to care about Top Shot in a couple of years? And I think that's because there's so many plays that people are buying mm-hmm. that I feel like are meaningless. Like a random you know, dribble crossover layup in a game that you're going to forget a week later. It feels silly to pay a thousand bucks for that. 
but he's right about moments that people will feel like they are attached to and will remember in a long time will hold on to their value better. So when whenever whenever this bubble breaks, because we're I think we all agree it's a bubble. Mm-hmm. Whenever this bubble bursts, those tor- those types of things will hold their value much better than the the sort of meaningless things that don't make any sense. Yeah, I I feel like you could use Top Shot as almost just like a microchasm of what NFTs as general in general like are going to become is that top shots right now like he said some of those plays are going to be you're going to remember in 10 years i think he said if you remember this play in 10 years it will hold value like that's what you should be looking for but if it's just a a random three-point shot in like the second quarter of a doesn't matter what game in the regular season that probably doesn't really hold any value and he's also said in other interviews before that nfts are in this huge bubble and that when that bubble pops all the things that have specific personal value to people or hold some sort of memory or whatever is that's what's going to keep prevailing. And the bubble burst is just mostly going to get rid of most of the garbage that's out there. The people who are just creating to to jump on this NFT hype right now. And that is a lot. This whole place is littered with it. One of my favorite things to do is make analogies uh, and to compare sort of similar things and see how many parallels they are and maybe tie a bunch of strings together and it helps me better understand and explain things in my opinion. And my favorite parallel that I think we got to at some point in the middle of that was how Mark Cuban referenced it as kind of like a new beginning of the internet type thing where it's kind of hard to understand at first and kind of anything in that world automatically gets extra attention and potential financial incentive. Like, oh, you made a dot-com? This is huge. Um, mm-hmm. And we all described it as a bubble, and it did burst, but it did leave uh, an obviously lasting change on a lot of fundamental things that it just made a lot of sense for, like sharing videos, sharing you know, FaceTime, like communication, just a, a ton of things that the internet enabled. Yeah. And the other part of that was uh, like an NFT being a certificate of authenticity could just be your car title or your phone's proof of like ownership where you're you're definitely the only owner and not lying about it on eBay. Mm-hmm. Like that's a that's a real actual use case that I could see being a fundamental like driver of why NFTs are our future. Uh, and so that I, I found that really interesting. I think like if we actually give it the benefit of the doubt, not just the benefit of the doubt, but like actually giving it the credit it deserves for the, the things that it does well in the blockchain, I think you could see like a future where NFTs are everywhere. But also he's totally right about like baseball cards being a piece yeah. of cardboard with ink on them mm-hmm. and having a value just because of what we associate them with. Well, and specific ones too. I mean, even if you go to like Pokemon cards, they're 25 years old right now or something like that and we're seeing this big influx of people collecting them and them going for crazy amounts of money but those are the very specific very rare and ones that held value like when you were a kid and you opened up a booster pack and it had a charizard in it that something happened then and you were very excited for it and bringing that nostalgia back right now is why people are spending money no one cares about those weedle or metapod cards that are out right now those are all in the trash they're worth absolutely nothing so i think when that bubble bursts all the whether it's nostalgia whatever it does that makes you hold value to it is what what's going to prevail on that for sure so you know it's a common thread that i've tied through all of the things that nfts could be useful for what's that collecting yeah. Collectors. So we talked about baseball cards, basketball cards. Yeah. We talked about Pokemon cards. Even if you want to turn this into like buying a gadget online or buying shoes, people collect shoes. Mm-hmm. There is always an inflated perceived value over the actual physical value of the object in collecting. So you might literally collect a bunch of coins that have a literal value but are worth more to you because they're significant. Same thing with cards, it's cardboard. Same thing with shoes, it's just laces and rubber and fabric. But they're worth more to you and you want specifically to know that this version that you're buying is the original because it has a significance to you that only the original can have. When I buy a pair of shoes that was worn by somebody, if I was a collector, I would really want a great way to know that this exact pair of shoes was definitely the one that was worn by the person. And in the digital world, NFTs are that thing. And if we can somehow cross the bridge of connecting NFTs to the world of physical collections, where you know people are doing with this with Pokemon cards now, people are doing this with actual trading cards now. The NBA is doing a version of this with Top Shot, and it's not really connected to the physical world, but I think the more strings we tie between NFTs 
and physical collections, the more it will make sense to be the future. Yeah, and I think the the benefit of this is is the collectible aspect is what is creating the hype behind it and the reason that everyone knows about NFTs. But like Mike said, there's way more to that in this this future certificate of authenticity that could actually help our everyday lives. Like you said, it's all going to be really boring stuff, but it's going to be we're in a digital age, and that is just how we're going. So it's actually you know the collectible hype is helping us build the technology better for something in the future. And I really like that he's someone who's not just focused only on his art and how NFTs are making him money, but how NFTs can, he just seems to really enjoy technology and what blockchain technology is. And the fact that he's already looking into the future a couple months into learning about it is is just a really awesome thing to see. Yeah, I wouldn't want anyone else in the driver's seat like he is right now. Obviously, considering the downsides we talked about, considering giving back like we talked about, there's a lot of things he's he's got on his mind that I think make a lot of sense. So that's a, that's a good place probably to, to end it. I feel like we learned a lot. This is my favorite episode. I've been excited for this recording for since he said he'd do it. So Sick. Uh, I'm glad we got to make it happen. Yeah. All right. Well, that's been it. If you guys have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line on Twitter at WVFRM. You know where to get to us. But until then... We'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Take it easy. Waveform is produced by Adam Molina. It is created in partnership with Studio 71, and our intro-outro music was created by Cameron Barlow. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.